Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the 7th edition Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game rules by Chaosium. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try very hard to stick to language for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast may include mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc., which may bear resemblance to entities living or dead, is strictly coincidental. My name is Michael Diamond, and for tonight's game, I will be your keeper. Previously, on the Old Ways Podcast. Greetings from beyond the grave. By now, I'm sure you've learned that what I've left you is a whole heap of trouble. What I need to know, what Jackson is asking for is... Who here among you is willing to continue? (laughs) I'm I'm just saying it could get a little rough at Teddy's. I have a shotgun. I'm not that rough. I will make sure that Miss Carlisle has an hour of time uh, around three o'clock. We're back for another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. Thank you for joining us. As always, I'm your keeper, Keeper Michael. And to my right, I have... Lonnie, who's playing Edward Lawrence Edward Oliver Forsyth, who can't remember his own name for some reason. Well, we'll get we'll get to that. You'll, you'll eventually Also, he's going to jail. <laughs> you are going to jail. You are going to jail. Uh, and then to his right... I'm Morgan. I play Lillian Lane, and I'm going for some Italian. Well. Whoa. Whoa. Sounds personal. Uh, at the end of the table. I'm Jake. I'm playing Jack Doyle, and I'm also going for some Italian. Whoa. And then finally. <laughs> this is James. I'll be playing Dr. Sigmund Tattenbach, who is also going to jail. I prefer to go for Italian, though. This <laughs> seems like the Wait, short end of the stick. Italian jail? Or. No, no. Right. Sorry. It's, <laughs> so, so we will lift the curtain tonight on Dr. Tattenbach and. Mr. Forsyth, heading to a train station. So after a short bit of research, gentlemen, what you found is that the easiest way to get to Sing Sing Prison is to take a train. You've actually found that a train goes directly to the prison. At the city that Sing Sing's actually located in, there's a train station that drops you off at the prison and then continues on. Convenient. Very convenient. Yeah, bloody convenient. So Sing Sing's been around for a really long time, actually. Um, By the time you get there in 1925, it'll have been around for for several years. And it has developed a rather specific reputation. It's very notorious. Place for the hardest of the heart. Yes, it actually houses most of New York City's uh, most dangerous criminals. Uh, And then recently, within the past few years, had... Something of a different sort of building built there. One that has been termed the death house. And that death house is where they electrocute people. At a rather large rate. Yes, yes. Uh, they are they are electrocuting hundreds of people a year. And I forget I forget exactly what the uh Warden's name is, but he's very liberal in his use of uh, juice to fry yes, things. Yes, uh, it's actually Warden Laws. That's his last name. Okay. He ahead. is an advocate of the use of the chair, uh, even though there are many people, including reporters, who deem that the entire experience just disgusting. He continues to use it. So the facade is an austere and blank canvas as you arrive. You wonder what possible rest someone might be able to find in such a place. The cold air kind of brushes through the train as you roll up to almost getting deeper and deeper into your bones. Uh, there's a definite smell that comes from the Hudson because the prison sits on the Hudson River. Uh, as you approach, you see no obvious doors. And you wonder... How does one get out? 
let alone get in. The train kind of comes to a slow halt, and several people get out, and most of them walk towards the nearby town. Only a couple head off the platform and then across the bridge to what you find is two large rectangular black doors. Rod iron? Uh, no, these are... Well, I suppose they probably would be iron doors. Like plate but iron. Yes, plate yeah, iron, rolled, not wrought iron. Rolled, yeah. rolled iron. Yeah. Yes. Rolled iron, plate steel. Yes. No cold <laughs> rolled steel jokes from uh, from Game of Thrones, please. Right. <laughs> but to, to say that this three-floor structure, these massive cell blocks, are ominous would be an absolute understatement. Uh, the, the depth and the weight of this prison alone crushes you before you walk in the building. Mr. Forsyth, I'm glad to say that we are not staying. I've never never been so glad to say that I'm not staying in a place. You see a couple of guards kind of move out from nearby, not doorways, but nearby cuts in the building. You would never have known they were there walking up. They stop the person who's in front of you and they give them a solid firm pat down and then they escort them to a nearby area where they open one of those black iron doors and you can hear the metal on metal creak and you just catch your first glimpse inside the prison yard and the barbed wire the rolled barbed wire on the windows inside (laughs) is something of a sight you see a long line of men marching together their hands on the shoulders of the men in front of them and they're being drilled to march in lockstep and you can hear the shoes the heels of their their shoes kind of click back and forth back and forth and the sound itself kind of rides up your arm and into your neck and you hear a smack as one of the guards uses his baton on one of the men who have fallen out of rhythm this is horrible you get approached by a man in a black uniform looks like a policeman's uniform but it's all black yeah help you gentlemen uh, yes, uh, we're here to see, uh, Mr. Hilton Adams. Adams, huh? All right. Step, step over here, please. He points to a section by the wall. You get put up against the wall mm-hmm. and you get patted down. Fortunately, huh. I brought no weapons with me this time around. That is fortunate. <laughs> Doctor, they take your cane. I figured save one. After uh, they look at it a little bit, they move it around. They see that it comes out. They that is a sword in there. I tell them, full disclosure, that is a weapon. Do you have another cane that I may use while we are on the premises? Uh, I'll see if I can get you one. Funderbar. Probably not. <laughs> they usher you both inside, directly inside the doors, and then after a moment, you hear another creak behind you. And the slow metal grate of the door shuts. This would be a perfect time for a prison riot, I think, internally. (laughs) The internal bands and kind of clockwork lock of that front door cinches back into place. And you feel a little trapped. Not just a little. You know... Even though I know we've done nothing wrong, Mr. Forsyth. Let's make this quick. Doctor, I am in full agreement. (laughs) The guard comes back out and he says, We don't have a cane. You're going to have to just make do. Fantastic. I will will take the doctor's arm. Thank you. Or the doctor will take my arm. (laughs) Adams is down here. You see a really, really long walk. Yeah. Um, by your kind of 
learned eye, Mr. Forsyth, you figure it's about a mile. Jesus. This place is vast. All right. Well, I begin. You cope as best you can. Probably take occasional uh, a break or two on the way down a moment or two to stop. And Do you know what hurts you the most? It's not so much being without a cane. It's watching the men being drilled to walk in lockstep. And every time someone steps out of line or out of bounds, they get hit. It's watching these men who are being taught to move in lockstep and seeing that they don't properly they don't have proper footwear the shoes don't fit right the clothes don't fit right the guards are uncaring and on full discipline just ready to pounce does this remind you of dunning (laughs) i have no idea what dunning is doctor yeah you do yeah the asylum Oh, no, that does. No, what I remember about Dunning was uh, a door. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. But Dunning was a mental asylum, wasn't a prison. Wasn't a prison. <laughs> you. Still, torture is torture. You continue your pathway down all the way to a smaller um, rectangular building, I guess. Uh, that kind of end caps this portion of the prison. And then there's a the path sweeps to the left. You get a nice view of the Hudson River. And then that path goes directly to a square building with another set of uh, steps that go up and then two doors. And guards on the outside of that as well. Up we go. Up we go. You stumble up the stairs as best you can. I lean heavily on the rail. There are definitely rails. Good. Mm -hmm. One of the guards that's at the door, he opens the door for you. Instead of you having to open it yourself. Dankeschön. Inside, there's a small (laughs) receiving area where there is a a gentleman waiting for you. You two here to see Adams? Yes, sir. I'm George Brunton. Good afternoon, Mr. Brunton. My name is Dr. Sigmund Tartenbach. This is my associate, Mr. Forsyth. I'm sub-warden here. You picked a heck of a time to see Adams, I'll tell you that. Why is that? It's not been a good day. He turns around. For Adams or for everyone? You'll see. George. Brunton. Brunton. As you walk down through this area, you begin to get your first up-close look at Sing Sing cells. Each one is roughly four feet deep, three feet wide. There is no space to walk, to stretch. The men that you pass in these cells, they have to sit on their bed to use the small one foot by maybe one and a half foot desk to do any sort of work on. They each have their own light, but they are their their oil lamps at best. Um, the walls themselves are not smooth stone; they're hewn like limestone, and so they're pitted and cracked and sharp. Therefore, you can't lean against them. No, there is no comfort there. The only smooth floor, the only smooth part, is the floor. And that's a relative smoothness. Right. So. So paid to, paid to not go to Sing Sing is what you're saying. Essentially. Absolutely. <laughs> um, just, to, just to give you a little bit of background on the place. in When they first developed the whole lockstep walking discipline technique, there were men that were at Sing Sing that within three days of arriving committed suicide. Yep. Because they could not take it mentally. And, and then physically, too. Because if you fall out of step and then you get hit, it's harder to get in step Correct. the next time. Because, yep. you know, physical punishment never works when you have to do physical tasks afterwards. <laughs> Brunton, Brunton keeps a fair amount 
uh, of closeness with the two of you. You can hear him talking over your shoulder. You're going to have 30 minutes maximum. No passing objects to the prisoner. Anything I don't hear, I stop the conversation immediately. You understand? Absolutely. Is there a chance, could we get pencil, some paper? Absolutely not. Don't worry. I have a good memory for things. I will remember them. You approach a cell in the middle of the block. You can hear the din of voices in the distance, but the one thing you have not heard much of in this prison are prisoners' voices. You don't hear shouting and yelling. You don't hear people groaning. You don't. You barely hear people talking. You know there are people here because you've passed them on the way, but they are not speaking. That silence would be that enough is, to drive someone insane, too. Yeah, that is horrifying in and of itself. He stops at a cell and with his billy club taps on the rail a couple of times. You see the bars. Adams come forward. His voice echoes in here. And that light din of background you heard poofs and goes still silent when they hear the subwarden's voice. You see a mostly fit African-American man um, approach the cell. He's wearing traditional prison stripes, mm-hmm. including a hat, a shirt, pants, and it looks like he has reasonably fitted shoes. Hilton's Adam, Adam's face wears the weight of months in a prison system that is waiting to get the opportunity to put him to death. I help you, gentlemen. Mr. Adams, uh, we talked to your wife. She sent us to you. Um, you see Subwarden Brutton step, take, essentially take two steps back. He removes a pocket watch from his pocket, opens it, and then closes it with a click. I'll be brief. Um, has anyone told you that uh, more murders are happening in Harlem? No, I hadn't heard anything about it. I mean, I would I would shake your hand, of course, but he kind of looks back beyond towards the warden is by. We understand. I don't think the warden would appreciate it. A friend of ours was murdered at the hotel, Chelsea. It was the same pattern as the murders which you were arrested for. He looks up like a bit, what? How? That is a wonderful question that we don't have the answer to. But we know that you and the Hellfighters were investigating. Yeah, you could say that. We need to hear what happened. We are trying to find the person who is actually responsible for this. And if that is the case, look over at the warden to make sure, you know, he's listening. But yeah, if that's the case, then you would be innocent and we can remove you from this horrible place. Well, where do you want me to start? When the murder started, when did you start investigating? I didn't really start investigating. We didn't start investigating for, I don't know, a couple of weeks until we saw that there were more than one. And we got worried. I mean, you got to understand, Harlem is a place where everybody's got family. We were just trying to make sure that everybody was going to be okay. Was, Was there any connection between the victims that you knew of? No, that was the damnedest thing. It, it, the damnedest thing was is that these murders would happen. It didn't matter who they were. It didn't matter what they did. It didn't matter what, how much money they had. It was like people at first, it felt like just people were being picked off. And that's why I got the boys together and we started doing rounds. What did you see on your rounds? I mean, for the most part, we would just... You know, you'd see, you'd see petty stuff, people picking pockets and stuff like that. We tried to put a stop to that. We tried to make sure that people's stuff wasn't being stolen, people weren't breaking into houses. you got to understand, there ain't a whole lot of money in Harlem. And not a lot of police attention. 
Not the kind you want. Um, when you were in Harlem and you were investigating these murders, how did you know where to look? Well, they got started back when I got from... They got started when I got back from the war. Must have been, I don't know, six years ago or so. And that's when they really first popped up. And you got to understand, I, we live in Harlem. Millie and I. Mm-hmm. Well, at least I did. I, I got to believe they've been going on for longer than that. I, I had to believe they've been going on for a while. Once we noticed that something was funny, I gathered those boys up and we started doing rounds, just like we would normally do during the war. You you mark out places mentally on your map and you start doing patrols. I mean, it. I don't know if either one of you served, but it, it just became second nature. Mm. It just became something you did. I described the symbol of the cult of the bloody tongue. That is the symbol that we found carved into the forehead of our friend. Yeah. Hmm. You know, that's the damnedest thing, too. They said, I took and I carved that symbol into that man's forehead with my knife. But the thing is, is I never took the bowler out with me. I knew better. I mean, I people were getting murdered. I wasn't bringing a knife to a gunfight. When, when they picked me up, I had my pistol on me. I didn't take a knife with me at all. Well, they said that they found a knife on you, but I assumed that... that... No. Those cops in the 14th, they're, they're all dirty to a man, I'm guaranteeing. Do you know Do you know a Captain Robeson? Robeson? Yeah, yes. I know him. I'd love to have a crack at him, let me put it that way. Watch yourself. I just remind Adams and look at the prison bars. Thing is, though... You said he got murdered at the Chelsea Hotel. Your friend, Jackson? Mm-hmm. Yes, Jackson was. Chelsea Hotel isn't in Harlem. No, it's not. And that's another issue. All the other murders happen in Harlem. So it breaks that whole rhythm. It does. It doesn't fit in with the rest of the, pa- rest of the pattern. That symbol we found yeah. is from a cult in Africa. Okay. Were there any recent people in the neighborhood? You knew you knew most everybody in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Were there any recent people in the neighborhood from Africa? Recent arrivals? No, not recent, but there was this one time. The only place I could figure out that had ties to something like that would be that import-export place. The Juju House. Yeah, I followed a guy back there for a while. I heard that there were other people who were also going to that place, too. Including police officers. Well, yeah. I I grimace at the fact that he just says it so openly because he's doing it right in front of a warden. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the thing is, before the cops picked me up that night, I, I followed a guy back there. Must have been in his 40s. Shaved head. White man, black man? African, for sure. I followed him there, from there to a coffee shop. It was on 139th 6th Avenue, above uh, Fat Mabel's, to speak. Hmm. Do you know the name of the coffee shop? He gives it to you. What did he do after he got there? Or did you not go in after him? I sat and watched him. Just for a good long while. I don't think he saw me. But nobody was real keen to talk to him. Everybody was, you know, trying to stay, steer clear of him, that's for sure. I did pick up his name, though. Yeah. What was his name? Mukunga Umdari. Now, that's as African as it gets. That is. Mukunga Umdari? Mukunga Umdari. Umdari. Hmm. And I wasn't the only one who was worried about the Juju house. Nita Han Johnson, one of the Hellfighters with me, hmm. he was worried about the Juju house too. I never got a chance to tell him about this Mdari guy because I got picked up. 
Your friends from the Hellfighters, they still hang out at Teddy's Saloon? Yeah, should. I mean, as long as you're still that around. You know of. Yeah. Good. They what don't was, make many stops in here. What was his friend's name again? I'm sorry. The person he mentioned was Needham Johnson. Okay. Mr. Adams, mm-hmm. we wish to speak to your friends in the Hellfighters. Is there something that you can tell us that will gain their trusts? That we are helping you. We have a limited amount of time. Not just now, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I think I do. Yeah, you tell him, uh... Hmm. You tell him we didn't fight for France. I will. Thank you, Mr. Adams. Is there anything else you wish to speak to him about, Mr. Forsyth? Um... Were they continuing the patrols, do you know? I hope so. I I hope so. I, I got to tell you, I don't know. To be perfectly honest, I mean, those boys, listen, they're smart and they're courageous and all that. They went through literal hell during the war. But they also probably know that they do too much investigating around Harlem and undercover too many stones that they're likely to end up in here. I... I I believe that the reason why I'm in here is because I got too close to whatever was going on out there. What did you see that last night? Was it was it just that man? And then you found a body. Yeah, I found the body. Where was the body? The body was in Harlem. It was uh. Where at in Harlem? West 137th Street, between Lenox Avenue and Harlem River. It's about a rough one mile circle was where all these killings happened at. So it's got to be around there. But this uh, but this Nadari, Mdari, uh, he couldn't have done it because he was, you you had him in sight the whole time. Well, maybe he didn't kill that one, but maybe he was responsible for some of these others. So when did you find it after you, after, after you went to the coffee shop and watched this man at the coffee shop, where did you go from there? Well, that's when I followed him out of the coffee shop. Into the Juju house? No, I lost him in an alleyway. And soon after that, maybe 10 minutes or so after doing some, you know, left and rights down some of these alleys, that's when I found this body. Mm. All cut up, all mangled. And then, wouldn't you know it... Surprise, surprise. The police show up. But you didn't hear any screaming, any noise, any commotion? No. Mm. Mm. Was there blood on the ground? Oh, yeah. Lots Tons. of it. Means yeah. it was probably killed there. Mm. But if there was no screaming, it means it was sudden. Which is odd. Not really. Stick a man in the right place with a knife, he doesn't get a chance to talk, to say anything. This is true. This is true. Mr. Adams, we're doing our best. I appreciate hopefully, that. Hopefully we can get you out of this. And Mr. Adams, Millie sends her regards, her truest regards. I only wish that she could be here herself. She, uh, she can't handle coming and seeing me. Truth be told, Mr. Adams, if somebody had told me what I would have experienced coming here, I don't know if I would have been as eager to do so. You are a strong man. Remain that way. We will do everything we can. Thank you. And I assume that the warden at this point looks yeah. rather pointedly at his watch. Uh, no, actually, what what warden the ward the sub warden does is he taps on the bar with his club, and when you don't immediately move because you wouldn't know to. He says, this way, gentlemen, now. As you move back down towards the direction you came in, give me a listen roll. I'm going to fail this so, so hard. Oh, I did not, sir. That is an extreme success. Huh? That is a six under an 11. Holy shit, I made it. 12 under 31, so that's a heart. You both hear 
the sub warden say, the captain will love to hear this. So the sub warden's in on this too. God damn it. I, I mean, draw your own conclusions, of course, yeah. but. I'm sure he will. As we walk. <laughs> you exit the prison after a long and rather painful oh, walk. I think I'm rubbing back. off on him. My hip is on fire by this point. Yeah, absolutely. I'm you practically get, carrying him. You get to the uh, train station, and even though it's cold, even though it is outside, you have to sit down on the bench. Mm-hmm. There is no way around it. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Forsyth. I cannot go any further. It's fine. The two of you prepare to go back to New York City. It's about a 45-minute train ride. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, our other investigators, Mr. Doyle, Miss Lane, you are meeting up before going to Detulio's. You have a meeting today with Eric Carlisle. Yes. Okay. So, Detulio's uh, is in a nice downtown spot. It's a Italian restaurant, uh, and it backs up against a couple of other relatively well-named buildings. Most of the Italian restaurants in New York City really are pretty small affairs. This one is not. This one has not only uh, a couple of attachments to it, it's also bookended by a hotel. So there's definitely a, a lot of foot traffic, but it's also a fine dining restaurant. What time do you arrive? Our meeting with Ms. Carlisle is at 3 o'clock. That's right. So we probably arrive about 10 after. (laughs) You're riding with me. (laughs) I know, I know. Okay. You arrive about 10 after. Um, You get seated. The uh, staff make sure that you get a back table. It's not so much a private room as it is a back table, which has a couple of different columns nearby. Um, you know, they're wrapped in wood and whatnot and mahogany and stuff like that, but it's not so much a private room as it is a relatively private space. Secluded. Yes. So are we saying she is not here yet? She is not here yet. She, she one-upped you, Miss Lane. Took a number right out of my book. That's right. You get seated, and as you are preparing to kind of go through the menu and uh, get some refreshments, you see a attractive, probably late, mid to late 30s woman with bright blonde bobbed hair and a fur coat walk in. She makes her own waves as she walks through the restaurant and towards the table. Behind her is a slight man uh, with graying temples and black hair on top. And then behind him is a very large man, probably around six, six to six, eight. Uh, and he is both, both men are well-dressed, um, but it's fairly obvious to you, Mr. Doyle, uh, the larger man has a singular profession. Mm-hmm. He is there to do things if necessary. Erica Carlisle and the man with her enter the space, and she gestures to you. Uh, Miss Lane, how are you? Just fine, Miss Carlisle. How are you doing? She um, genuflects toward you a bit, like not to hug you per se, but to give you a social woman's hello, right? I stand to greet her. Yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. She ex. She nods to you, Mr. Doyle, and then kind of turns a bit uh, to uh, her accompaniment. This is Mr. Gray. You spoke on the phone with him. We did. Nice to see you, Mr. Gray. Uh, Thank you. It's nice to see you, Miss Lane. This is Mr. Doyle. He's an associate of mine. Mr. Doyle. So, uh, Mr. Gray says, perhaps you could tell me a bit about this expedition to... The Far East you were discussing? 
time to turn on the bullshit. <laughs> squeak, squeak, squeak. Bullshit faucet on. I was trying to make something up as I went along. Yes, I know, and now we'll see how you do. Yes. Um, yes, our expedition to Shanghai. Um, there is some curious tombs there that we'd like to inspect or get to. Hmm. You see Gray kind of consider it. There are supposedly some tablets in these tombs that could be worth quite a bit of money. Hmm. The waitstaff comes and brings a bottle of wine, several glasses, and starts pouring. Um, you see Erica hold her hand up at about halfway, and the waitstaff stop immediately. So tell me, what do you hope to gain by going to Shanghai? The tablets? Uh, perhaps an international incident? Well, while money is nice, mm. as you all know, um, honestly, it's for educational purposes that I'm interested in them. See, I find this whole thing puzzling, she says. Why is that? Well, I must tell you, Lillian, I'm I'm just, I'm a bit taken aback that we would even need to be in consideration. It's well known to me and well known to Gray and probably half of New York how well your family does. Why you would need my help in putting together money for an expedition seems very strange at all. It's not like you don't have the money for it. If you want an expedition, simply go. So, what I need are resources. Hmm. And what kind? Not that I want to dredge anything up for you. But there was an expedition a while back. Mm-hmm. To Kenya. You see Gray put his hands up. Miss Lane, this is not what we discussed on the phone. We were not discussing Roger. We were not discussing... I don't want to discuss Roger. I want to discuss his expedition. We don't even necessarily want to discuss his expedition. We have... There's more than one expedition we're embarking on. Hmm. One will be going to, Shang- we'll be going to Shanghai, but at first... We'll be stopping in Kenya. You see, you see Greg get up. He furrows his brow. Excuse me, who are you again? Mr. Doyle, I'm in charge of the physical oversight of the expedition. The physical oversight. Now, in what parameters exactly, Mr. Doyle? Be specific, please. There are certain things that have to be taken care of. Hmm. Resources, supplies, security, the like. Much of what I was in charge of in a Peru expedition a couple of years ago. I see. It sounds something more like what Joe would do. You see him gesture to the uh, a man that makes a better door than a window that's standing in the lone entryway into this, you know, kind of quiet area in the back of the restaurant. I believe uh, Joe there is more suited towards uh, blocking light than the expeditions. <laughs> um, Mr. Doyle offers more services than Joe does. Do me a favor, <laughs> Jake. Make me a... I'm not getting uh, to the fuck. Well, I might be getting to <laughs> Make me a appearance roll. Oh. Appearance? Yep. Oh, okay. Oh, look at that. I got a hard... You hear Erica laugh. That's very funny, Mr. Doyle. Interesting. Hmm. She uh, kind of gestures just with a a simple and probably well-oiled hand to Gray. Just a simple wave of her hand. And you see Gray go from very prominent at the table to sitting back just immediately. So, 
You have some questions you'd like answered. Yes. We understand, obviously, it's a dangerous undertaking because of what happened to your uh, ill-fated brother. There's nothing there. I have no doubt you're correct. But anything you may have that could give us forewarning on what we might stumble across, papers, journals, letters, anything, may save some lives. You know, I'm surprised, Miss Lane, that you had not run into Roger years before. He was the sort of man who was a part of every social gathering, uh, whether he was invited or not. He amazed me with his ability to debase himself socially in public. And I find it very interesting that you would be at all interested in an expedition which killed not only him, but several members, several friends of his. What is so interesting? We were originally brought here by another man. Oh, brought all together. A man who was recently murdered. Well, that sounds wonderful. And this murdered man may have connections to what happened in Kenya. Or the murderers, more likely. You never did find out who killed your brother. I took the word of the Kenyan authorities that the tribesmen that they found and deemed responsible for Roger and the deaths of his expedition mates, I took them at their word. I waited. I watched them build the gallows and I waited until they hung them and then I came home I saw it through as far as I could you really do think there is a connection between your brother's expedition the man and several other murders that have occurred We would really appreciate any documentation you might be able to offer us. Why don't you make me a persuade role, Miss Lane? And impress me. Or not. Spend a force point. You can't spend a force point. <laughs> Different game. I'd like to spend a will. <laughs> Wait, we're not allowed to be playing force users? Uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got 47 and my persuade is at a 60 that's good yay I tell you what why don't we continue our dinner I'll answer a couple of your questions and we can try to keep this a nice and reasonable social call does that seem fair more than fair. Mm -hmm. I have to tell you, for the past several years, most of the people that I interact with know better than to ask about Roger. Gray makes sure of it. Now, provided we have a nice dinner and I can answer a couple of your questions, I like you, Mr. Doyle. I think you're funny. I think maybe you and some of your compatriots, because I assume there's more than two of you going to Shanghai. Indeed. If you are even going to Shanghai. It's very likely. Perhaps you'll come to a party that I'm having on the 24th. It's at my estate. It's a morning party. A friend of mine is assisting me with putting it on. His name is Otto Kern. He's a wonderful man. 
Um, Miss Lane, you would you would know who he is. Uh, he's somebody who's deep into railroads, uh, which makes sense of why he would be palling around with Albuquerque College because she's an import export sort of person. Um, he's he is a German born, now naturalized U.S. citizen who uh, is exceedingly generous with his work with the poor and the sick. He's very uh, philanthropic. The party starts around 8 o'clock in the morning. What's the dress code for your party? What's the dress? Well, something spectacular. These things only happen once in a while, so the uh, the men at the university tell me. We're going to be celebrating something very special. Have you not read about it? I can't say that I have. I've been very busy very lately. Busy. Well, later this week, there's going to be a solar eclipse. Ooh. Oh. So, um, the wait- waiters come back with appetizers and food eventually. What can I answer for you? What was your brother looking for in Kenya? Secrets. Um, lost artifacts. It's more in line that he was looking for whatever that African Benet woman told him to look for. She was a <laughs> she was a piece that sauntered in and the left and right directions her hips would shake. That is where Roger's eyes went. Like she was she was here. Yes, yes. She spent time, lots of time, actually, with Roger here. She's the reason he's dead. Is she still here? No. No, she accompanied him and the rest of his foolhardy crusade to London and then Egypt and then God knows where. So was she among the uh, deceased? That's what the Kenyan government said. That doesn't mean they were telling the truth. I couldn't. I honestly could, couldn't tell you, Lillian. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I I could tell you that I don't spend nights wondering if Roger's really alive or if he's really dead. But I'll tell you this much. If he wandered through that door right now, I would have Joe break every bone in his body after what he did to me. Did you That's ever fair. see a body? No. No. Um, he had changed uh, he had stopped making public appearances for about a year if you mean that he went on booze fueled benders all night with his African tribes women play thing then yes so that started about the same time the Spinet woman came into his life well Roger was always a playboy always he was always getting into something he was always squandering Something that our that my family built, that our family built. You know, as uh, as tragic as it is, it seems like the uh, business fell into the proper hands. Finally, the business has been saved. Luckily. So, Mister Doyle, tell me something about yourself. Anything? Like, where'd you get the scar? In France. Mm. You know, our trips to France have been quite different. Well, it was a, it was a different time. Yes, I believe it. Yeah, Roger went over uh, overseas with his uh, groups, his pals that he picked up along the way. These people he'd either coerced or uh, sold on the idea that they were going to find something spectacular. You do a lot of expeditions over in Europe? Roger? Yeah. No, he failed his way around the universities Mm -hmm. of the United States until 
he, I don't know, after his fourth or fifth one, decided that he was going to retire uh, a man of 25 to 26 years into his lap of luxury with the Carlisle estate money for him to spend. That was his decision. That was his big decision in life. He lasted six months between Harvard, Yale, USC, Miskatonic, kicked out of every single one of them. When did he meet his uh, lover? Was he still in school then, or was it after school? No, it was after school. That Benet woman didn't come here until um, before they left. Was it her idea to go to the exp- on the expedition to Kenya? Absolutely. Well, it didn't, doesn't strike me that it would have been his. The expedition didn't first go to well, Kenya. Well, they went to, to London. Cairo. They went to Cairo and London, and their, then Kenya. Correct. Their aim was to go to Cairo because of uh, everything that was going on in the news with the excavations already underway. So they go to Cairo first, and then to Kenya. I believe so. Yeah. They didn't go to London in between. Well, they they went to London okay. and then I was just. Okay. Well, I'm. It sounds like they found didn't find what they were looking for in Cairo, so they followed some clues to Kenya. The food is pretty good. The wine is uh, good, and so is all of the associated, you know appetizers and whatnot, you have a pretty good meal. Erica doesn't eat very much. Um, she tends to she tends to pick for the most part. Uh, it appears that she's someone who's very careful about what she eats. And Gray does eventually not come back into conversation, but he does eventually sit back forward a bit. Did uh, your brother ever mention a place called Juju House? No. Okay. Never heard of it. What is it? It's uh, specifically an African import export. Uh... No, I'm sorry, I've never heard of it. Either one of you could roll psychology if you'd like. If you succeed on it, though, you get to put points in it. Right. Yeah. That's not a hard, but I did succeed. You gotta succeed at it, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it appears to you, Mr. Doyle, that after the meal conversation and after um, this woman she keeps she's mentioned twice, Benet has come up. You're fairly certain that Erica Carlisle has a well-oiled, kind of cultivated, cultivated, aristocratic vein of racism. Well. Oh. Like any good American. Well, you know, it's the 20s. It's in the 20s. This is a little different. Just in the way that she, when she's talked about Benet, she has some definitive tendencies to, to continue to down-talk her, uh, to treat her as uh, an interloper, that sort of thing. Is Was Miss Benet from Africa, or was she local? No. No, she was not local. Although Roger never allowed her to spend much time around me. He was very protective of her. She came in with the wind and the rain one day, just like any other African storm, and deposited her herself on our doorstep, and all of a sudden, Roger gave her every benefit and every advantage that he could possibly hurl at her. And she scooped them, this, the rest of them up, and then eventually they were whisked across the Atlantic. Sounds like he was besotted or bewitched, so to speak. Did they ever talk about where they met? Or did he ever talk about where they met? No, it was weird. He he went from occasionally bringing her around to going days on end without being at the estate. And then one day, I remember he was packing up. And he was preparing. It looked like he was preparing for a trip. It was the first I was hearing about it. And then the morning paper hit the Carlisle estate. And they brought it up to us. 
at breakfast. And all of a sudden, I'm reading in the social papers about my brother going on some massive expedition. He didn't talk about any of it with me. We didn't discuss it. Roger was in charge of everything. Except that Roger was in charge of nothing. He didn't know what being in charge meant. Do you know where this uh, Miss Binet stayed when mm. she was in town? Yeah, I do know where she stayed at. Roger's bedroom. I'll write that down. <laughs> <laughs> when they were there. When they weren't there, I couldn't tell you. I know that uh, Dr. Uh, what's his name? She looks at Gray. Gray says, Dr. Hudson. Yes, Dr. Hudson. They occasionally uh, spent time at Dr. Hudson's office. I mean, it's closed now, but... Hanging out at the doctor's office. That's weird. Right? Who would do something like that? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, go on. They spent some time there. Obviously criminals. Did Dr. Hudson go with him? Well, yes. Hudson, Penhugh, Masters, and then his friend Jack Brady. Did Roger have any other friends who didn't go with? That were around him for a considerable amount of time that I can remember? Close enough to... No, he took all of his... I say close friends. That's not what I mean. They're not close friends. Hangers on. I think so. I think every single one of them, including that damn Benet woman, I think that she was there just to suck whatever life she could out of Roger. And by that, I mean every single American dollar she could get. What kind of doctor was Dr. Hudson? He was a psychologist. Hmm. And... You know, a lot of times for expeditions, when they put to put expeditions together, they're looking for something in particular. And any of the paperwork that you saw, if you saw any paperwork, was there anything mentioned as to exactly what they were looking for? No, I, Roger never included me in any of it. I mean, it, it wasn't mine, but you could always inquire with, I would imagine, New York, City has some sort of record of what the doctor did. It's not really my area of expertise. You'd have to investigate that. All right. Um, thank you for your time, Miss Carlisle. You're welcome, Mr. Doyle. I look forward to seeing you at the estate. I would be um, delighted to be there. Hopefully you'll come armed with your quick wit. Well, I try to come armed. He does. To the occasion. He really does. She uh, gets up. She says her goodbyes. Gray escorts her out. Joe, their uh, third wheel, lingers a moment in the area after they leave and then follows them out. See you later, Smiley. He probably wasn't happy with you and the light blocking comment. (laughs) (laughs) You had to make a comment. So the two of you wrap up your dinner at Detulio's and then go where? Should we go back to the hotel or um, should we go? Well, I'm not allowed to go to the hotel. It took about an hour there or so. What's that? An hour there, two hours, what? Yeah, it's probably a good, it's probably probably been in tow. It's probably a little after four, give or, t- give or okay. take. So, I don't know I mean, when the doctor and Forsyth will be back, but well, never. We should. <laughs> were you guys going to the Hellfighter stuff afterwards? No, well, I thought they were going back to the hotel. Yeah, we should probably meet them at the yeah. hotel and okay. give them information. So, around about four thirty-five o'clock or so, the four of you meet back up at the hotel. It's relatively speaking, it's about the same time, uh, given the train ride, given your time at Sing Sing, but you're all there together. I'm sitting with my legs up, my feet up. <laughs> the uh, staff at the Hotel Gerard saw you come in a bit gimpy. And the uh, maitre d' has ordered up uh, either... Uh, he's ordered up a couple of things. One is uh, a large amount of ice for you to potentially use if necessary. And he's also he also brings up two large hot water bottles. Oh, fantastic. 
I make sure to to uh, definitely tip the. Oh no, it's it's, it's no trouble. Uh, we we like to take care of our guests. Please, <laughs> Donka Shane. Oh, I make use of both. <laughs> In tandem. Yep. Uh, so uh, you guys, the sorry, Mr. Doyle, Miss Lane, you two come in to Do the... Do women look alike? There it is. <laughs> right. What are you trying to say? It is the 20s. Right, right. <laughs> it's the 20s. All women look alike. <laughs> you come in to seeing uh, the doctor a bit laid up there. And then I imagine Mr. Forsyth is probably going over paperwork or a map, given the street addresses that... Uh, yes, yes, I, yes. As a matter of fact, there's Mr. a map Adams. that I need to. You should have it. Did I give it to uh, you? You gave it to me, but I gave it back to you because oh. I didn't want to stick it in the box. Give it, and we take it away. What's in the box? Big print giveth, small yes. print taketh away. Fact, I do have a couple <laughs> of there addresses. There's your map of minute. How it works. Okay, so. So how was your time in prison? Unfortunate. That place was never not meant for humans. Yeah, yeah. Um, prison. We did speak to Mr. Adams. We got about what we were hoping for. We need to speak to the Hellfighters. Well, we were planning going tonight, so... Indeed. However, we have a phrase now to get them to trust us. Oh, good. We did not fight for friends. Oh, yeah. Wait one moment. (laughs) But that will help. That apparently will help us speak to them. Which is what we need. Uh, He... Had some information, but nothing that we really didn't know already. He has no idea what the connections between the various people were. However, he did point out that the one, our friend, Mr. Elias, Jackson Elias, was the only one outside of Harlem that had been killed in such such a a ritual manner. Everyone else had been inside of Harlem, which means that whoever is doing this most likely is inside of Harlem as well. Yes. And beyond that, he did say that the Juju house was, it seemed to come back to that. It keeps coming back to that. He also mentioned a bald individual, um, hairless man, who he had. Uh, his name was Mukunga um, Umdari. Mukunga Umdari. He said that he was. A bald headed uh, man in his 40s. He also said he was of African descent, African not descent. Middle Eastern. African descent. Yeah, I would be surprised if uh, somebody named him Mukamba of. Umdari. Umdari is uh, Middle Eastern. Middle Eastern. Yeah, he said he was of African descent. Probably uh, Kenyan. Mm, it would not surprise me. But he had spent much time Can in the Juju house. figure out how they spent So that together. is a. Uh, Umdari is most likely Kenyan. And uh, he keeps returning he said he was returning to the juju house over and over and even followed him there at one point and uh so that seems to be definitely our next place to go other than to speak to the hellfighters themselves who we were already planning on speaking to right we have a complication hmm. um it appears that the uh sub warden who led us to adams's cell Knows the captain. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, I'm not surprised. And did mention where he thought we couldn't hear that uh, the captain will be interested in hearing everything we said to Adams. Mm-hmm. I think we so have... So they'll be waiting for us. I think we have to assume from this point on that if the police are involved in any fashion, it's not going to be good. The Captain Robeson, was his name? Yes. Captain Robeson... Everywhere we turn, other than to Juju House, seems to be the other factor that we run into. Well, he already did make a visit to Mr. Doyle. Mm-hmm. He seems to like him. Mm. Yeah, we that's, get along swimmingly. That seems mm-hmm. to happen a lot with you, Mr. Doyle, and well, authority he, figures. Miss Carlyle was quite taken with him at lunch. Oh, was she? Well... How did that go, by the way? Um, we found out a little information. Uh, we had to pretty well let her in on what we were doing. She was they, canny then. Yes, mm. she is. Um, she's not a fool. Good. I'm done with dealing with fools. Mm. <laughs> that being said, <laughs> we have a uh, a little soiree we have been uh, invited to. All of us. Really? Yeah. When, when was that? A uh, a solar eclipse party on the twenty fourth. Solar in the eclipse morning. party. And nothing could go wrong with Solar that. Eclipse. Yeah, that doesn't seem foreboding at all. <laughs> no. No, not at all. But you but do have to wear your Sunday best. Perhaps I will pick up new Sunday best. It's a good idea. We are in New York. 
I have not had I have not had time to go shopping yet. <laughs> There's plenty of places to shop. There's, There's a store. more than just I have, this. We have passed a <laughs> store or two. <laughs> What's that mean? <laughs> Nothing. She just gestured to all of you. <laughs> Nothing. Oh, my hip is killing me. You, you seem to have a lot of ice going on there. <laughs> Lift the shirt a little bit and show an old gunshot wound, <laughs> like a scar of a gunshot wound. Something had happened to me in my youth. It does, does not make for walking very easily, unfortunately. I... Suppose not. Okay. Stick around. You'll get some wounds, too. <laughs> Great. Uh, on that note, wounds. I am going to close this episode. Unless, Mr. Forsyth, you have anything specific. I see you pouring over the map of New York. Well, we can talk about that. Okay. Fair yeah, enough. <laughs> so uh, I want to thank everybody for listening and sharing and uh, subscribing to us on uh, one of many, many podcast networks that are out there. Uh, we do enjoy getting your feedback, so please give us some feedback. Tell us how the show was. Tell us what you'd like to see, and then maybe even tell us what you're hoping will happen uh, as we get into deeper and deeper into masks of Neil Arthur Tep. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.